It is estimated that over 6 billion Bibles are in circulation throughout the world today. By far the best-selling book of all time. But why should we read it? We live in a culture where very few are familiar with this book. It could be intimidating and hard to understand. Many feel it's an archaic book that doesn't relate to modern day life. Could it be possible that God desires to transform us through his written word? Join us as we discover together all the Bible has to offer. I haven't read it, but it's the world's number one read book, so maybe one of these days I will read it. It's about all that goes. The Bible, I don't know. I mean, it's what you believe in. I don't really believe in the whole Bible. I think, I think it's a lot of a, a lot of contradictions in it. The Bible, I think it is the word of God. It is the infallible truth, and that it is, you know, a way to live your life and a way of salvation. Um, I think it's interesting, and it has a lot of good values and ideas. Um, well, I think there's, I think there's some good lessons to be learned in there. Um, whether I, I and I think, is it a historical text? Uh, maybe parts of it. Um, but... As far as as far as believing in in Christianity and that kind of thing, no, I'm not. I'm not. What do I think about the Bible? Um, I just think it's it's one big book. People can interpret it any way they want. I think it's the Word of God, and I think that people, if they believe that, um, I'm really open to other people's beliefs. But I think if you're a Christian that the Bible is definitely the best way to go um, and can lead you towards salvation. So. What do I think about the Bible? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that kind of give you uh, aspects of life that you should strive towards, some, some things that you should follow inside life. You know, just, just general um, tips and suggestions on how to make yourself more one with the community and, and one with God. Um, it's a great historical text. <laughs> Good story. One of the best storybooks ever written, although its amount of factual truth is limited. What it asks people to do is uh, unique, and I don't think it has a basis that is based on scientific fact. I had to laugh at some of those, honestly. Uh, some, some of them were good. That one guy had a really good answer, and the others, uh, I, I don't know, I think it, I think it was a little bit out of ignorance. Uh, maybe that's an offensive word. How about, how about innocent ignorance that, that they made some of those comments out of? And did you know that the Bible has the word ignorance in it, or be ignorant 25 times in, in the Scripture? Because it doesn't want us to be ignorant of what it says. I guess my wife shouldn't have been so offended when I told her she was ignorant the first year of our marriage. Um, she, I guess she just didn't understand the Bible well enough. I, I don't know. Uh, so anyway, if you believe, if you believe the Bible, 
And if you want to know it better, then I want to share with you today a little bit of how you might do that, how you might go about that. I, I, think, I think a lot of us are intimidated by reading the Bible. Anybody here maybe a little bit intimidated if you started in the book of Leviticus and you might be a little bit intimidated by that? So we're going to talk about some things that maybe will help you to understand the Bible just a little bit better. So my name is Bill Malott, for those who don't know, and I can't live up to that introduction by Kevin, but I'll do my best. Um, I'm the executive pastor here, and I, I've been a follower of Christ for uh, 47 years next month. And the reason I tell you that is that I, there's still so much of the Word of God that I need to learn and apply to my life. And it's hard to believe after studying it all these years, I've become convinced that the more we learn, the more there is to know. And the more we realize how much further there is to go because God is such an infinite being and we're so finite in our understanding. So I'm just as excited about studying the word today as I was 47 years ago. Uh, and, and that's kind of the premise I want to start this, this whole message on is that our goal is to become more like Christ. Our goal is to be transformed and to become, uh, by spending time in the Word, to become more like Him. So I want to encourage you to take out your insert that's in your program, because there's going to be some follow-along. We're going to start doing this from now on, in case you haven't noticed. It's, it's, a, it's a good tool that you can take with you. If you don't have an insert or a program or a pen, uh, raise your hand and the ushers will... Uh, We'll get one of those to you. Amy just came in. She'll, she'll get it to you. So if you, I don't see any hands. Do you see any, Amy? If you, if you don't have a pen, please raise your hand. Okay. So it looks like everybody's got that. You're all set. Um, we talk about transformation. We talk about what we want to get, get accomplished by studying the Bible. And uh, I read a recent quote from uh, Lisa Turkhurst in one of her recent books, uh, and, and the quote went like this. She said, inspiration and information without application, without personal application, will never amount to transformation. Now, I don't know who said that first, but it's so true. Um, and and it's, it's just, if we don't make it a part of our life, it will never change us. So information just doesn't do it for us. Uh, some of you know that I spent a good part of my life in the, in the military as a, a crew member on this plane uh, that you're going to see on the screen in a second. This is a picture of the B-52. Um, I spent 2,200 hours in this airplane, and um, partly my job was to navigate the plane, and, and mainly my job was to defend this plane against uh, surface-to-air missiles, anti-aircraft artillery when we entered hostile airspace, uh, the objective that we had was to deliver the weapons uh, to the correct targets, on point, and without getting shot down. You know, that was, that was a big part of it. If you got shot down, you couldn't quite get your weapons to where they needed to go. And so in order to do my job, in order to do that, I had to have more than just information. I, I had to have an understanding of the entire enemy defense system and how it worked. And, and how the electro, we, we like to call it the electromagnetic spectrum because it sounds impressive, but that's all the airwaves, all the things that I had to use on the airplane to make sure that, that signals couldn't track us and, and lock onto us and shoot us down. So 
I had to be able to block the bad signals and leave the good ones alone. So I had to kind of have an understanding of what was going on. Now, you might be asking, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, if we don't understand what, what God is doing and what the enemy is doing, then it's difficult to navigate through life and receive the right signals and block the wrong ones. It's, it's difficult. If our objective in life is to be transformed in, in such a way that we'll be able to discern the difference between those things, between God's voice and the voice of the enemy, then we have to learn how to do that. We have to understand what God is all about and what the enemy is all about. And by the way, I do believe that the enemy is Satan, and I do believe he has followers, and I do believe he's real. So as I, as I go back to that B-52, not unlike that enemy in our airplanes and when we're flying the B-52, the enemies of God are against us at every turn, and they're real, and they want to destroy us. And so with that in mind, I'm not looking to pass on information only today. I want to help you get to the point where you can understand the difference between the voice of God and the voices of this world and the voices that will lead you astray. And so I want us to be transformed by the study of God's word. Now, we've been talking about the Bible and how important it is, and we've looked at the Old Testament, we looked at the New Testament. Kevin told you about the hidden Mickeys that are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that Jesus is the hidden Mickey, and that's true. We need to look for Jesus in everything. But I want to take us a little further today. I want to go a little deeper. Uh, and, and before I do that, I want to ask you a question, the same question they asked these people in the video. What do you think? What do you think of the Bible? Now, lots of those answers. There's only one really good answer up there. Uh, but but these, these questions that, that people try to answer, they, they do it without really knowing it. They, they do it without ever examining it, at least to some degree. And, and I think it's partly because of what I mentioned before. It's, it's intimidating. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to study the Bible. And I think everybody in this room at one point or another in their life said, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to study. And, and it kept us from getting involved. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up a very easy word for you to understand here today. This next word is, is a, a method of studying the Bible, and it's called hermeneutics. Everybody's really confident now and that you, you, you once you see that, you're, you're good to go, right? So as I put that on the screen... A lot of you are saying, Herma, Herma what? Why, why would I ever hermeneutic anything? I, I, don't, I don't understand. What are, you, what are you talking about? How much of this stuff do I really need to understand? Isn't that, isn't that yours and Kevin and Clint's job to explain it all to us and so we can understand it? Isn't that the way it should be? Well, a few months ago from, the, from this stage, I shared a picture with you, and I want to share it again, uh, that, that gives us an idea of how we get a grip on the Word of God. How do we do it? Well, we do it by hearing. So this is important. We do it by reading the Bible. And this is one of the, the answers in your, your insert if you want to fill in the blanks. If you're one of those people that like to not leave blanks blank, then you can, you can follow this along. And we study and memorize and meditate on the Word of God. So all of these things we need to do in order to get a good grip on the, on the word. So just like it was up to me to defend my own B-52 against the enemy, 
Sometimes we have to defend ourselves against the enemies of God. And the Holy Spirit will help us. He'll surely give us the strength to do that. But we have our part to do as well. We have to have things in our lives that the Holy Spirit can bring to mind. In fact, we have to receive the Holy Spirit by coming to know the person of Jesus Christ. So we need to do these things. And today I want to focus on one of them. The, the, the idea of studying the word and knowing how to understand what the Bible is saying. Uh, Luke wrote in the, in the book of Acts, he, he commended the Bereans by saying the Berean Jews were of more noble character than, the, than, the Thessalo, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. There's a couple things I want to point out in there. He said they examined them and they did it every day. That's a tall order for a lot of us in our busy lives. I know it's difficult, but this, this scripture is telling us, encouraging us to examine those scriptures so that we can check out the things that we're being told. We have to test them against the word of God to see if they're true. In fact, I'm going to tell you, test what I'm telling you today by searching the scriptures when you go home, when you leave here. I want you to do that. And, and last week, Kevin mentioned three things, and I hope you remember these things. Three things that he, he talked about that will help us as we look at Scripture. We need to remember context, content, and concepts. Now, now all of those things are really, really important. But one of the things I'm going to focus on today, and I think this will help us, is the idea of context. And the word itself, and not not studying everybody else's opinion, but study the Word of God first in context. In fact, R.C. Sproul, who, uh, who was a great author and preacher of the Word, uh, he, he died a couple of years ago, in fact, two years ago tomorrow. Uh, he had this to say about the Word of God. He said, I think the greatest weakness, now think about this as you read this quote, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for a power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except in, in where God's placed it in his word. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that we can be influenced by those things around us? Do you think we can be convinced that the world is, is more correct or more accurate than the Bible? In fact, sometimes we think Certain things that the world says are really in the Bible. Uh, let, me, let, me give you, uh, uh, let me give you a quick Bible quiz here. Anybody up for a quiz? Now, now don't worry. Your grade won't affect your salvation or anything. It won't make God love you any less. It won't, won't do that. But I want to I wanna just we'll have a little fun here with this. I want to give you five statements. And I want you to, if, if you are confident whether they came from the Bible or not. That's what I just want you to say. If, if it's from the Bible, just yell out Bible. If it's not, then yell out not. Okay, you got it? Uh, all right, first one. It says, we can stand affliction better than we can prosperity, for in prosperity we forget God. I hear a lot of nots. I don't hear any Bibles. Good, not. It's not. D.L. Moody said this in a sermon, which is, it's probably true, but it's not in the scripture. Second one says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Bible. You guys got it. Luke 12, 34, Jesus actually said this. How about this one? God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. I heard some Bibles, I heard some knots. It's not. This was a guy named William Cowper in the 1700s. He was a hymn composer and evangelist. He said this, and again, it's probably very true. He does move in mysterious ways. In fact, if you want to go to Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says God's keeps, God tells us he keeps some things secret. So it is mysterious to us in some ways. But that's not the way he put it in the Bible. How about the next one? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Bible. John 3, 8. Jesus said that again. All right, last one. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Bible. Jesus again, Mark 3, 25. And here's some context to that. Jesus was being challenged that he was performing these miracles with the, by the power of Satan. And he said, no. In fact, if a house is divided against itself, it can't stand. So I'm not doing these things by the power of Satan, I'm doing them by the power of God. And so this is this is what he said there. So I hope you got all those right. Uh, if you didn't, that's okay. You know, here's a, here's a few more that you might have heard that uh, I, I call these, uh, these are contained in the book of Hesitations. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard that book, but it, it's, uh, it, it's things like God helps those who help themselves. Ever heard that one? Uh, here's one you probably heard from your mother as you're growing up. Cleanliness is next to godliness, right? You've heard that one. That's not in the Bible either. How about moderation in all things? This too shall pass. Here, here's probably the most uh, misquoted one. Money is the root of all evil. That even sounds good because he's only missing one word because it says, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So, these, these things are easily confused, especially with all the distractions we have in our world. If we don't study, if we don't pay attention to what God is trying to tell us in his word and put the power where it belongs, then we can easily get confused. So, so Paul, who, who we, some of us know, Paul was, uh, wrote most of the New Testament, and he was training Timothy to be a pastor at the church at Ephesus. And he, he was training him by saying, it's really, really important that you handle the word of God correctly and accurately. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he said it this way. He said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So to correctly handle the word of truth in our lives, let's, let's look at that funny word again. Uh, if, if we're feeling intimidated, if we feel like we don't know an approach to studying the Bible, then this word hermeneutics, uh, hermeneutics is actually, I, I don't even care if you remember that word, but I, I do care if you remember what it means. And essentially, it's a, it's a, a, a science of interpretation, of biblical interpretation, trying to figure out what it means, what it meant then, and what it means in the here and now. And here's the important part of that definition. If you can keep this in mind from that word, a text cannot mean what it never meant. If it didn't mean that it was, it was, it was a bad thing to lie then, then it doesn't mean that it's okay to lie now if you need to or unless you, uh, 
if everybody else is doing it. Sometimes we take our culture and we misapply what the Bible said once because, oh, things have changed. No, if a text never meant that, it can't mean it today. So that's the, the, the biblical interpretation or the science of biblical interpretation. We've got to keep it consistent. There's another word that is a good, it's a good word, and again, I don't care if you remember this word, but this tool, this idea, this attitude of looking at the scripture called exegesis, uh, you may have, may have heard this word, in, especially if some of you are from very conservative churches, uh, they exegete the Bible. They, they take it word by word, verse by verse, and it's a good process. But what it means is to draw out of the text exactly what it's saying. It's to dig from a passage inherently what it is stating. It's not reading into it like this next word. This next word called eisegesis is, is where you take uh, interpreting your own presuppositions into the passage, and you try to make them say what you want them to say. So when you keep these tools in mind as you read the scripture, look at what it's saying, not at what you want it to say. So here's the here's a summary of those words. And again, I don't care if you remember the words. If you remember that taking out of it what is good or what it's saying is good. Hermeneutics and exegesis, they're good. Eisegesis, bad. Don't, don't do eisegesis, okay? Because the, the goal of our study is to get the author's original intent. It's to get the, what the words meant to those original recipients and how that applies to our life today. So when we ask the questions, who, what, when, where, why, it's, it's critical that we let the text speak and we don't draw out of it the things that we want it to say, but it doesn't say. So be careful when we do that. I'll give you an example. Here's an example from an Old Testament passage in 2 Chronicles. And I'm sure you're all familiar with 2 Chronicles chapter 27. Just kidding. Um, Jotham. Jotham was 25 years old. How would you like to become king when you were 25 years old? So Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Now, if you just read that verse, it would be really easy to think that Jotham was in the wrong for not going to the temple, right? In fact, some preachers have used this verse and said, see, you got to go to church. You got to be in the you got to be with people every week. you got to be there. And Jotham did the wrong thing. Well, in reality, when we look at that passage, we see that Uzziah was really the person that did the wrong thing because he went into the temple when only the priests were supposed to go into the temple. And Jotham was actually obedient to God and did a better job than Uzziah did. So just a simple example of how we can misinterpret the scripture if we just take one verse out of context. One of my favorites is when we start doing the, the random selection of the Bible, we can say, oh, uh, Judas went and hanged himself. And we look at another verse, go therefore and do likewise. But that, that's not a good interpretation of scripture. We can easily get confused. So what, what I'm encouraging you to do is to, is to take what the scripture says. And this, this next bit of uh, advice, the simple analogy of context means clarity in the scripture. So again, we're going to focus on this context. 
and the way context is, is, is gained. We can look at the paragraph that the verse is in. We look at the paragraph. We look at the chapter. We look at the book. We look at the history and the culture behind it. And one of the, one of the things that's about the New Testament, we have to understand where the culture is at the time. When, when Paul speaks to certain people, when John speaks to certain people, even when Jesus spoke, he considered the culture and what they were ready to hear and what applied to them as they were, as they were talking about the word of God. And, and so another key question that we want to look at is what was that author's original intended meaning? And, and this, is, this is where we ask the question, who is he writing to? When was he writing? Where? Why? What is he addressing by this, this passage of Scripture? And again, look at this. Another passage of Scripture is Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Have you ever heard this verse? For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, if you just look at that verse and you think, oh, man, uh, I need two or three people to be around for God to be with me, right? You could, you could say that. You could take it that way. But in reality, what Jesus was talking about in this verse, he was talking about conflict. Well, you would never know that unless you went to the, to the context and the paragraph and the culture and the, the whole idea of what he was talking about. If you look at the first verses, couple of verses before that, in 15 and 16, it's, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, that changes the whole idea of that where two or three are gathered in my name. What Jesus was trying to get across is, hey, conflict is difficult. So take somebody with you. Go to them. Go, go to the person who you have struggles with and try to resolve it. But if you don't, then go with two or three others and I will be there with you. God will be with you when you're together. So that's a great truth that we could easily miss if we don't interpret it correctly. We could be thinking, oh, I've got to get with somebody in order for God to be with me. That's not what it means. And so I, I, want, to, I want to give you three words that will help you as you study the scriptures. And these three words, these are three things to keep in mind. Uh, observation interpretation, and application. So if, if you're so inclined, I know I don't like doing this when somebody asks me to say it, but if you could, just humor me, say these three words with me. Observation, interpretation, and application. If you can remember those three words as you get into the scripture, as you start studying the Bible, if you can take observation, interpretation, and application, and here's what they mean. Observation says it gives you the who, what, when and where. You ask the questions of the text. What, what general observations is the writer making? What's he talking about here? Interpretation. What, what does it actually mean? What truths or theology is he trying to teach? And then application. Application. Very important. How do I live in light of this truth? How do I apply it to my life? So let's say that one more time. Observation interpretation, and application. So do those things, and you'll follow what James told us to do. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and he said in, in James 1.22, he 
He said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There was another preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers. He said, it's not how many times you have gone through the word that matters, but how many times the word has gone through you. So when we live the word, the word comes alive in our, in our life. I want, you to, I want you to watch a video here in a second. Um, I want you to watch this. It's, a, it's of a man named Mike Franks. Uh, he is a, was an avowed atheist that, that came to a point in his life where he was confronted with the word of God and the word of God only. And, and I want you to see what, what he's going to, what's going to result in this. Before we do that, I want, I want to take up our offering. If the ushers would be willing to come forward and, and take up our offering now, just let me say that if, uh, if you're here for the first time, please don't feel obligated to give, even if you're here for the 50th time. Don't feel obligated. Just do what God tells you to do as he's uh, inclining you to give or not give. So as we watch this video, I just want you to take notice of how the power of the word of God has influenced Mike's life as we watch. My name is Mike Franks. Uh, I was born in East Cleveland, Ohio, um, the oldest of three boys, and uh, grew up in a, in a very Catholic home. At the age of about 14 years old, my father left us. And uh, at that point in time, I just stopped attending church altogether and uh, just began a, a pattern of some really bad choices and behaviors in my life. The Navy was a good choice for me. I, 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 I had a sense of belonging there. Well, my job in the ship was to work in an in a electronics lab where, where we repaired the black boxes that went in the airplanes, the electronics. And uh, a, couple, a couple rows back uh, sat another sailor, a guy that was older than I was. He was from Knoxville, Tennessee. Very mature guy, he was married and uh, began a friendship with him that, that, I, that I really treasured. We had, it seemed to have everything in common. Well, I remember one particular day going back to see him, and uh, he was sitting at his bench, and he had a Bible opened in a, in a workbook. He was doing a Bible study of some sort, filling out questions. And I walked up to him, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I absolutely cannot believe that this guy was reading the Bible. And uh, I, said, I said, what are you doing? And he, he looked at me as as amazed as I was at him, he was at me. And he said, I'm doing my Bible study. Don't you read the Bible? I said, dude, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, you read the Bible? I mean, I was amazed that somebody that was that intelligent could be that dumb, that would, uh, that would you know, commit his belief to something like that. And uh, <clears throat> talked about it for a few minutes, and I found myself just kind of like easing away from him a little bit. Uh, didn't want to really get associated too much with a, with a Jesus freak. And I said, do you really believe that? And he said, well, let me ask you this. Are you 100% sure that God doesn't exist? I mean, if you had to state your eternal destiny on it right at this moment, would you bet that there is no God? And I thought about it, and I said, well, you know what? Maybe 99%. I mean, virtually, I'm sure. And he said, well, you know, that 1% of doubt that you have is your mustard seed. And I said, really? Yeah. He said, that mustard seed is, is, is a significant thing for you because if you plant that mustard seed, it'll change your life. Well, where I sat, I had a piece of test equipment in front of me. It was a console electronics uh, test machine that I used to test my equipment. And the top of it sat about head level with me. 
And as I sat down in my chair, I looked up and I noticed a big, thick green book sitting on top of my console. And I, I picked it up and I looked at it and it was, it was the Living Bible, a big padded cover, fat green thing. And uh, right away I thought, oh man, this guy's gonna start hounding me now. He's gonna start leaving his stuff, everybody sees it. And I looked at the guy next to me and I said, I said, wow, man, who left this, this uh, book on my, on my bench? He looked at me kind of funny. He said, are you blind? He said, that, you know, that book's been there since you came on board the ship this year. It's been there since last year. The guy that, that, uh, that had your job the last cruise was a Jesus freak. He left it there. And I thought, this guy's, this guy's busting on me. I, I got up and I looked at the top of the, of the console, and sure enough, there was a clean spot where the book sat in the dust. And uh, man... I felt chills run up my spine. I thought, this is, this is the most incredible coincidence I think I can ever remember seeing. But I took the book with me anyway, and, uh, and that night I opened it up and I read chapter one of John. And uh, I thought it was a great story, but I needed to be convinced. I mean, there was nothing convincing about it. It was just a great story. But I, I, I read chapter one, and then the next night I went to chapter two, and I continued to read and I got to chapter 18, and the, the, Jesus had been seized and taken before the high priest uh, who insulted him, interrogated him, talked down to him, and ultimately slapped him across the face. And it just, it was like a slap to me when I read that. I put the book down, and I remember thinking, how in the world could somebody slap the face of the, of the creator of himself? How could he slap the son that God sent down to save the world? And I... I felt those chills again, and I said, man, what am I talking about? This is fiction. This is, this is crazy. It's old nonsense. And uh, the funny thing is, something had happened. I, something had changed within me. I believed those words. I believed that he was the Son of God. I don't know what happened. It, uh, it wasn't something that I felt come over me, but I put the book away, and, it, and it just, I just began a, a period of a couple days of real fear. I just tried to run from it, tried to deny it, but... It, uh, it wasn't where I could, where I could uh, get away. I remember one night not being able to sleep, and I went up to the shop, and as fate would have it, it was Good Friday. We were out, out in the middle of the Mediterranean, and I went upstairs into the shop, and we had a TV lounge in the back. Back then, we had a closed-circuit TV in the ship, and there was always a movie playing on one channel. And uh, I went into the lounge, and I looked around, and there was nobody there. And I thought, wow, this is really odd. It's a, everybody should be in there having a cigarette, watching TV. And it soon became apparent why they weren't in the room. <clears throat> uh, up on the TV, they were playing some type of a story of the Bible. I, I think it was the greatest story ever told. And I looked up at the screen, and at the moment I looked, uh, I saw the high priest slap Jesus in the face. Man, he had my attention. Uh, I walked out of the room, I went up on the flight deck, and I remember going through the dark passageways, thinking to myself, where can I go to run from God? How can I hide from him? I mean, he's real. He answered my prayer, he, he acknowledged himself, I know that he created me, and what can I do about it? And I, I acknowledged to myself that, hey, I believe this. And I, I, I couldn't wait till the next day to come and tell my friend, and I said, you know, something happened to me last night, and I, I, I believe. I believe. Being a human being, uh, there's pangs of doubt even to this day that hit you every once in a while that, you know, how do you know this is real? How do you know that, you know, this isn't just something that, that you feel, but it really, really isn't real? And I'll tell you, one of the real affirmations that I received 
you read in the book from the beginning to the end was the consistency of God's character throughout that book. Uh, thousands of years, and I don't know how many different authors that wrote the pages of this book, but yet through it all, there was a consistency in God's character and in God's nature uh, from the very beginning of Genesis to the very end of Revelation. And I remember the thought coming to me many times that there is no way that anybody could have made this up. There's no way that these authors could have read what was written before them and said, gee, I'll add to that in this consistent fashion. Uh, this is not the work of a, of a man's mind, it's the work of a, of a creator. And uh, there's power in these pages. I realize that when I hold it and when I read it. In fact, sometimes there's just a, such a poetry and, and beauty to the words that you read, it's precious. hear from a guy who 99% convinced that God was not real and just by reading the word of God became totally convinced that this was true. He just read the word. He didn't have somebody beating him over the head with the Bible. He didn't have somebody persuading him with flowery speech. He just looked to the power of the word of God and it changed his life. If, if you've been encouraged or even challenged by that story at all, or anything that I've said up here today, I, I just want to encourage you to, to, to take a chance. Read, read it a little bit more often or read it for the first time. And, and find somebody in your life. Find somebody you can do it with because we, can, we need to be encouraged sometimes. We need to, to hold each other accountable. We, we have some small groups coming up that we're going to start uh, when we do this study on On Purpose coming up in January. Try to get in a small group and, and be accountable to somebody else to study the Word of God. And also, we have put on our website some verses that, that we believe would be really good to memorize. Uh, this is the website. You can go to kensingtonorlando.org and, and slash YBible, and you'll see some of these verses that we are challenging you. Memorize two verses a month. Two verses a month for the rest for the next 12 months. And you'll you'll learn 24 verses. And I'm I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be one of the things that will change your life more than anything else you've ever done. Because the power of God's word is real, and these these verses that God has put into our hearts, has put into his word, are powerful enough to change everything about what we, we do and what we believe. And so I want to close uh, with the first two of those verses. Uh, because unless Christ is a sinner, uh, the Bible won't make as much sense as it could. God will honor us reading it, and we can get his message. But unless the Holy Spirit lives in you through the belief in Christ, you won't have the understanding that you, that you have. The Apostle John wrote that, uh, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so these, these two verses that I want to encourage you to, to start with, 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, 
Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And it was very clear, very simple. He says, trust in Christ and he will make you new. He will make everything new and the old will be gone. In the second verse, Galatians 2.20, where he was arguing with the Judaizers, the, the Jews who were following the law, and he said, no, it's about grace. It's about trusting Christ. It's about living in him and letting him live in you. And he said to them, my old self has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life I live in this earthly body, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. I live it that way. And so it's changed me forever because I'm no longer who I once was. If you'd like to become a new person today, maybe you've never made that commitment. Maybe you've never expressed that trust to God in his son, Jesus. And maybe you'd like to do that right now. If you truly desire to trust him and, and give your life over to him so that he can change you, I'm going to pray in a minute. And I'm going to ask you, if you pray along with me, the, the prayer that I'm going to pray, and you mean it, and you sincerely believe it in your heart, then God will give you that new life. And he'll take that old life, and it'll be gone. And when you do that, I, I just want to encourage you, don't forget. Don't forget to, that it's not the end. It's, it's the beginning. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're even thinking about that, even if that mustard seed, even if that 1% of doubt that you have, trust God and ask him. Maybe you want to say if he's real, then come into your life. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. God, we, we don't know everything about you. We don't understand all that your word says, but we want to. We don't know how Jesus did what he did. We don't, we don't understand every facet of it. Or even as he was able to accept the criticism without even fighting back. But God, we know, we know that something about this, something is real. And we want to trust you today. We want to express and we want to put our belief in Jesus. We want to believe that he did what he said he was going to do, that he died for our sins, and that he made us new people, that the old has gone and the new has come, and that the life we now live is, is through him and it's in him. That the life we live in the body is by faith in the Son of God. And Father, we want to express that, that faith right now and ask Jesus to come into our lives and make us new and make us different as we live for him. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So before the band plays and before we get into an attitude of worship, I just want to encourage you, if you've, if you've prayed that prayer, if you did that today for the first time, or maybe you've rededicated, maybe you've uh, decided that I want to really get serious about this, go and tell somebody. Join a small group. Get somebody to hold you accountable in your life and move forward because the word of God will change your life, but we've got to stay committed to it and others can help us to do that.